You are listening to Epic Church San Francisco's podcast. How are we this morning? Beautiful weekend, is it not? So just proud of you guys. Know the sun will still be out, hopefully, when we get out of church. And you will, uh, for making the sacrifice you're making by being here. A couple of housekeeping things that I want to let you know about as we get going. And then we'll jump right into the continuation of part three of our God on the Surface series. Uh, the first one is this. Uh, we have three services now, so 9, 30, 11, and 6. You guys, if you don't know, you're at the 11, so just if you're here, if you're here for 9, 30, you're late. Uh, 6, you're quite a bit early. Um, but it, here's the reality for us. The way, and again, we've, this is only our third Sunday into this schedule, and so um, the, the way things are sort of tipping right now over the last couple of weeks, and, and I know this thing will play out. Um, so like, take last Sunday, for instance. Uh, 50% of everyone in our, that came last Sunday came to this service. About 30% came to our 9, 30, about... 20% came to 6 o'clock, and one of the things that we found is that the 11 o'clock tends to be, as we've proven again today, uh, kind of that, that, that great optimal hour for, for people to come. And so here's, here's what I want to say. If you're able to and, and think church at night would be fun, or you want to like, like do a sacrificial thing, or uh, you want to sleep in on Sundays and enjoy all the sunshine, what, what we need is about 35 more people to make the shift from this service uh, to 6 o'clock. Some of you can't do it, and so if, like you don't you don't have to get a permission slip to come to this service or anything like that. You don't have to pay extra when the bucket comes by later. Although, Tim, this would, I got some plans. I got some great, great thoughts on this. But if you can, um, that, would be, that would be really great. Because what we believe, we're limited in our capacity here. So what we believe is that um, kind of as things, uh, and last Sunday, there, we were way over the 80% uh, of room uh, occupancy. So we're, we're trying to constantly keep things moving and make sure that we open up space for new people. So especially if you're part of this church and like this is like you're, you serve here and you you are invested in the vision of this church, I'd love for you guys to consider. We had five people do it through email this week, so we need about a 35 more people to consider doing that on a weekly basis. So, um, And that's going on. And also let your friends know, if you have a good experience this morning, and you're out and about with friends, and they're just looking for something to do tonight, tell them, hey, uh, what I'm telling you about happens all over again at 6 o'clock. And so we'd love for them to be here, excited about what God's doing in our church. And here's another thing, part two of the housekeeping moment this morning is this. We've been asking ourselves as a staff, what can we create to get our entire church together as we have moved to three services there it appears at times like there's three because there there are like three different cultures kind of the 9 30 crowd like they're the ones that you know they're they're, they're prideful because they get up earlier than everybody else and, and then there's the 11 o'clock crowd and, and you're prideful just because you are and the six o'clock they kind of go right, we're the sacrificial crowd like we're the cool night crowd and it's a little different vibe in here so we're like how can we get the whole thing together and really we're thinking through summer events and things like that and then thursday night we received an email from the organizer, the leaders of the How Weird Festival that's coming at May 13th. They were super nice, but essentially in their super niceness, let us know that, uh, hey, we have an event going on and all the streets that surround your church will be shut down on May 13th. Um, so they're like, so uh, Howard shut down first to shut down, second shut down, and even Tahama, some of you, the, like the alley that many of you are afraid to go down on Sunday mornings, it, it shut down as well. So we, we've like, we're like, hey, we're going to spin this as a positive. We found the thing that we're going to bring the whole church together with. Write this down, really important, May 13th, 11 o'clock, so 9.30's got a sacrifice, 6 o'clock does. You don't, all right? We're just helping you out. We're really going to make, you're going to be the comfortable group. Um, 11 o'clock, May 13th, we will worship as one service, one church at the St. Regis Hotel 
uh, ballroom. And so if you're like me, you've never uh, stayed at a five-star hotel, but this is as close as you're going to get to one. Um, and here's what's really cool. All the time we talk to you as a church about, hey, let's leverage the gifts that God's given us. And so um, the guy who really runs the whole scene at the St. Regis Hotel is one of our leaders here at Epic. And we're not getting it for free, but he's used his position there to kind of get us a, a, a deal that's good enough for us to move forward on it. So 11 a.m., May 13th, St. Regis Hotel. It's Mother's Day. Bring your mom. It's a baby dedication day for us at the church, but it'll be really cool. Uh, it can hold over about 320 people, so it'll hold our entire church, at least where we are today combined, um, and it'll be a really neat thing. So get the word out to your friends. We'll be emailing stuff out. We'll be announcing it in subsequent services, but it's only three weeks from today, and so mark that down. Be there. It's going to be a really cool thing, and the festival doesn't go that far down. It's on 3rd Street, just between Howard and Mission, so don't, don't tell me, Ben, we, we have to go so much further now. You don't, all right? Uh, but you probably don't want to drive or park anywhere from third over to the water on that day. So now that that's out of the way, let's get to the real deal. In my research this week, I found that it's estimated that around 100 billion people have ever been born in the history of the world. 100 billion. Now, if you walk the streets of San Francisco and you kind of feel small in the crowd of San Franciscans, just think about your place in history, right? For those of you that are like, I'm pretty incredible, pretty important. There have been 100 billion of us really around all the estimates that I trusted that I did my research, depending on how you, what you do with creationism and, and all kinds of things, but about 100 billion people have ever been born in the history of the world, somewhere around there, probably 80 to 110 billion people. Do you feel significant now? Like, I know there's been no one like you, and that's absolutely true. We'll get there in a little bit. Um, and so 100 billion people, is it even possible that God really could have been or is or will be personally involved in the lives and the creation and the history and the existence of 100 billion people. 100 billion people. You know, personal involvement is a pretty big deal in our society right now, if you don't think so. Uh, just Monday through Friday, just walk uh, the sidewalks around downtown, like kind of where we are. And there are all, all kinds of organizations and companies trying to get you personally involved in their thing, right? Have you guys seen this? Anybody seen this? Like, no, I've quit walking with your eyes closed. That's dangerous. So it's everywhere. So you've got the Red Cross, and you've got Greenpeace, and you've got Epic Church, and you've got all kinds of other organizations. My personal favorite that I like to get personally involved in is anytime I see the Nestle Quick chocolate milk van. Uh, that's a personal favorite of a couple of us on staff that like chocolate milk. Uh, and so what they're doing is they're wanting you to get personally involved because here's what they think. And a lot of times it's a financial deal. Here's what organizations, even we as a church believe. If you will get personally involved, it'll affect the desired results that we want to see. Right? So a lot of times people do it with money, but that if you get personally involved, it will affect it. Whatever the cause is, whatever the organization is, whatever the company is, they believe, hey, would you please get involved? Because they know if you get involved, it's going to help their cause. Maybe they want a petition sign. It's going to help their cause. Maybe they want money. It's going to help their cause. They want you to be a part of this church in downtown. We think it's going to help the cause that God's given us, right? So we're like, hey, get personally involved. We even believe here as a church, the more personally you get involved, the greater effect it's going to have on your life and on our church and our city and the world as a whole. We just believe that because Personal involvement always leads to some kind of effect, right, to a desired outcome, hopefully. And so the question this morning that we've been saying really all along in the God on the Surface series is this with personal involvement. We can say that God doesn't exist, therefore, of course, he doesn't get personally involved. Or we can just say that he exists, but he's, you know, he's a little bit standoffish, a little bit aloof. He kind of wound the world up and then stepped back. We can say that. That's an argument that some have. And, of course, in that way, he doesn't get personally involved. Or we can say there is a God that exists. He does get personally involved. And if he were to get personally involved, it would have to affect everything, right? What I've tried to do in this series is kind of take away the middle ground. 
so many of us, both those of us that would say we are Christians and those of us that would claim not to have faith in Jesus, or at least not yet, a lot of us would say, you know what, maybe he does like exist, maybe he does get involved, but who cares? And my whole theory is, and I think it's right, <laughs> right? If we always think our theories are right. I, I do think this theory is right. We can say God doesn't exist or he doesn't get involved, and that probably doesn't affect anything. But we cannot say, I don't think any longer, we have a God who exists, who gets personally involved, and it doesn't matter at all, right? The question is, do you and I want to have a God, and not that we get to choose, so, but I'm going to let you pretend like you have a choice. Do we want a God who gets personally involved in our lives? Well, it depends, right? So let's say that you're the person that's unemployed, and you don't have to raise your hand, all right? It's not like a job fair. But just, just say that you're the unemployed person. Do you want God to show up in the middle of that situation and do something about your unemployment? Yes, we do. However, once God gives you the job, you're working for the company, and you realize that to get bigger profits on the bottom line, you're going to have to do some things that are unethical. You're ready to move forward in that. Do you want God showing up in that too? Right? Uh, let's say that you're praying to God for the woman or the man of your dreams, right? Some of you are doing this by name, and that's fine. Like, he knows them, all right? Uh, we believe he created them and can, some, can do whatever it takes to bring them to you. Like, even if there's this huge age gap or you think they don't notice you. I mean, you can ask God to get personally involved to do that. But then, do we still want God to be that personally involved once we've made a commitment to that person and now we're tempted to run away from the commitment to, to that person? Do we still want him personally involved? Right? When it comes to our finances, when we realize we've made terrible investments or just we tried to, we, we put a lot of money in a company or to some kind of risk uh, adventure in, in business or uh, otherwise, and, and all of a sudden we find ourselves lacking the money that we need and we want money and we realize that God can make a lot of things happen. Do we want Him personally involved in that experience? I do, right? Like, if he can do something about my situation there, I want him. But, but the, then the question is, but when it comes to, okay, he's given us the money, do we want him personally involved in dictating what we should do with that money? We love to have it both ways, don't we? We love to treat him sort of like a genie or maybe better Santa Claus. Like, God, would you give me this? Would you give me this? But when I get it, I really want to make the decision what I do with it. Like, God, I want you personally involved when I'm desperate. But when I get back on my feet, God, when all as well, when I realize that I'm going to get the job, when I realize that I'm going to get the girl, when I realize I'm going to get the money, um, you can sort of keep your distance. All of us have done that. And yes, I'm talking about every single one of us. So don't, don't, don't be the person that wants to stand up in the room this morning and go, I've never done that. We've all done it. Every one of us, right? We love the privileges that certain things offer us in life, including God. We struggle sometimes with, <clears throat> excuse me, we struggle sometimes with the responsibility that it demands of us. And here's the, the thing that I just want to say. If God is a God who gets personally involved, he can't just do, like, we can't just be the ones that pick and choose how and when he gets involved. Because, again, if we did so, guess who's God? Not him. Me and you. So here's what I want to do. I, look at, I want to look at the end of Exodus chapter 2, the beginning of chapter 3. If you need a Bible this morning, raise your hands, and I'll let you guys, once you get one of those Bibles in your hand, we've got right here on the third row in the middle. We've got some over here to the side, right here on the end. We can pass those down to and if you're receiving one of those gift Bibles, our text is on page 30. If you don't have one of those Bibles, I'm in the same boat you are, except for the fact that I know where we're going this morning. So I've got it already marked. Uh, Exodus chapter 2. Exodus is the second book in the entire Bible. So the Old Testament chapter 2 comes right after Genesis. And we'll start in Exodus chapter 2, verses 23 through 25. 
And here's the big agenda for the day. I want us to look through what we're going to read and uh, speculate about and contemplate and reflect on. I want us to look through the lens of, do we have a God that gets personally involved? And if he gets personally involved, what does that mean for us? And what could it mean really for our future individually and our relationships with our finances, with our church, with our city, uh, all of our decision making? What what could it mean? So uh, Exodus chapter 2, let me catch you up to speed so you know where we are when we begin reading. God has, as you may be familiar with, God has chosen a people for himself. God has chosen the nation of Israel to be his people. He has entered into covenant with them that he would be their God, and that's a really good thing. But then all of a sudden, they get enslaved in Egypt under Pharaoh's rule and reign. And not only are they enslaved in Egypt, but they're enslaved in Egypt, the Israelites are, they're enslaved in Egypt for 430 years, all right? So if you think you've had a bad week, uh, just know that you've been in the situation that they're in, and their, their grandparents have been in that situation, and their great-great-great-grandparents. This has gone on for 400-plus years, and, and, and I want you to see what God does when it comes to personal involvement. Would you guys stand with me as we read Exodus chapter 2, verses 23 through 25? And I want you, again, just to continue to look through that lens of, of personal, God's personal involvement. Exodus chapter 2, verse 23, the, the scene is just what I've told you. That, that's the context, and it says... During those many days, the king of Egypt died, and the people of Israel groaned because of their slavery and cried out for help. Their cry for rescue from slavery came up to God, and God heard their groaning, and God remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. God saw the people of Israel, and God knew. You guys can be seated. So, Right off the bat, right off the bat, what you, and I see in, in that, in that text, and it, it leads to great questions for all of us, myself included. Right off the bat, you see God saying, I, I've heard your cry. It says at the end of 23, their cry for rescue from slavery came up to God. And that's a neat thing. But let's not just run ahead. We'll do that in a minute. The question I've got to ask, and maybe you're asking the same thing, why did it take God so incredibly long to hear? Why did it take God so long to get involved why did it take him so long to do something about their situation? Here's the answer, okay? I went to school for this. Okay, get ready. I don't know. And that will be my answer this time next week. And that will be my answer 10 years from now when I stand on the stage if I'm privileged to. Why God does what he does, when God does what he does, how God does what he does, I do not know. They're like, well, that's great. That's the kind of pastor I want, <laughs> the foolish one. Here's what I'm saying. I, I don't know. He doesn't have to answer to me, but I don't know. I'm, I've been in moments just like you have where you're going, man, what, what has taken so long? Why doesn't he do something? I remember it's been, this November, it'll be 10 years since my mom passed away. She was 46. I was 25 at the time. And I just remember going, what, what in the world? I didn't have any children at the time. God, my, my mom will never see my kids. What, what are you doing? My, I've got two siblings that have never been married. She'll never get to experience that with them. What, what is going on here? Do you know? Why haven't you done something about it? And to be honest, and, and my wife knows this, just so you know, before I, before, before I tell you this, at the same time that my mother got cancer, Shauna's mom got cancer. And for whatever reason, God seemed to heal Shauna's mom, and she's been cancer-free, and that, that is great. But at the time, I was just real jealous. All right, what in the world? So you heard that one, you saw that one, you did something about her, and I am so, oh, I was so grateful. At the same time, I'm going, what's, what's the deal, God? What, what, what are you doing? And I just want to tell you guys, 
because of my own experience, this is not pastor talking, this is not what I've learned at school, this is just me going, I have to be able to hold on to God even when I don't understand it and when I don't like it. And here's why. If we only have to hold on to him when it works out in our favor, when we get the job, when we have enough money, when our relationships are great, that doesn't take much faith, does it? Let's just be honest. We're all awesome faith people when we're getting what we want, are we not? When we get what we want, when we want, and how we want. I mean, you're like, man, God's the best ever, right? I mean, anybody. It doesn't matter if they're Christian. I'm like, this is incredible. If this is what I get, then I want it. And the reality is we have to go, will we want it regardless of what it means for us? Can we, at the end of the day, trust his heart that he is good? As Romans eight twenty eight says, that he works all things for the good of those who love him. Though I can't get my mind around it, though I can't explain it, though I can't, even 10 years later, some of you may go, well, Ben, I'm sure you've seen reasons for your mom's death since then. No. No. I really haven't. The story is it's like, it's not closed for me. But I've got to go, okay, God, I'm going to trust regardless. Not blind trust, but I'm going to go, okay, what do I know from the scriptures? What do I know from my own experience? What do I know about the way God did heal my relationship with my mom before she passed away? What do I know about these things? I've got to latch on to that. But I want you to see four verbs in, in, in the text we just read. And, and know this, the Hebrew language, they're not, using past, they're not using tense when it comes to verbs. And so you see it as past tense here in 23 through 25. But I want to just speak to you as though it was present for them then and it's present for us now. Four verbs. The first one about God. And it's going to get really like this anthropomorphic thing. And God doesn't actually have ears and hands and all that and a brain. Uh, but uh, Moses is going to go listen to what God does. And he's going to actually put like this uh, human personal sort of things into God. And he says the first one, he says God hears. The first thing you see in 24 is that God hears. It says God heard their groaning. God hears. The reason why that's good news for me and you this morning is because we need to know that when we express something to God, even when we feel like, God, are you hearing me? I've said the same prayer for years. I've asked you to do something for my husband for years. We've asked you, could we get pregnant, God? We're trying to live the right life. God, do you even hear? This morning, I just want you to know that when God gets personally involved, he is a God who hears. And then it says that he is a God who remembers his covenant. You know why that's really good news? He tells, the writer says there that he remembered his covenant with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and the covenant that he had made with them and the forefathers of Israel, the covenant that he would be their God, that they would be his people, that he would protect them, and that one day he would lead them into the good land that he's going to do after the Exodus, if you know how the story plays out. But right now, it doesn't matter what's promised you in the future. If today is terrible, it's hard to see the future, isn't it? And so what it says right off the bat is that, hey, even though you've been enslaved for 400 years, and I know that's not what you want, And again, we can't figure out why God did it the way he did it. God just going, hey, I remember the promise that I made. I'm going to be faithful. And one of the things you and I need to know when our world's falling apart, when it seems like God is standoffish, when it seems like he has no clue what's going on, we need to know that he's going to keep his covenant. We need to know even if we walk away from it, because remember, as God makes covenant all throughout the scriptures and then through Jesus and brings about the new covenant, he's always faithful. And one of the things, maybe the the only thing you and I can hold on to in those moments is that God is a God who keeps his promise. So he hears, he remembers, and then we see that he sees. You see that? That that, that he sees in verse 25 says that God saw the people of Israel. God saw the people of Israel. There are times when you're going through something, and the one thing you need to know is, does God see? It seems like he's unaware. seems like he's aloof. It seems like he's distant. It seems like he's forever away. And what it's saying here is that we have a God who sees. 
My wife, Shauna, and, and her co-author, they just wrote a book based on this whole idea, and it just got published, which is fun, and, and her author friend is, is here uh, in town with her this weekend. But the, the whole idea is that we have a God who sees, and, and the name that God reveals himself to be is Elroy, which is the God who sees. And here's, here's where this name gets revealed in the scriptures. It's in Genesis chapter 16, verse 13. If you guys know the situation, God has promised Abraham and Sarah that they would have a baby, and they're really, really old. And some of the pharmaceutical stuff we have invented now is not available back then, all right? Uh, but God's going to, he's got a promise at hand. He's, he's going to do something. And so Sarah gets impatient. She tells Abraham to go sleep with my maidservant, Hagar, all right? She tells him that. To sleep with, and then Hagar gets pregnant, which was Sarah's plan. But then when Hagar gets pregnant, Sarah doesn't like it. So I know it's different in the New Testament days, ladies. But in the Old Testament, women would ask for something, get it, and want something else. Crazy. I mean, just crazy. Like, she goes, can I have this? Here it is. I hate it. And remember, Old Testament women we're talking about uh, this morning. And she goes, and, and so that's what she does. And so Hagar, she's like, oh, my gosh, this is terrible because Sarah kicks her out of the family and of the relationships and out of the house. And she's got this baby Ishmael. And, and, and she's like, man, this is terrible. I cannot believe I did it. I can't believe they asked me to do it. Now they're treating me this way. And Genesis sixteen thirteen says she begins to understand that our God is a God who sees. Elroy a God who sees. And regardless of what you're in right now or what you'll find yourself in, because we'll all find ourselves in something this year, or maybe even this week, regardless of what you're sitting in this morning, you need to know that though it seems like you might be unaware, God sees. And then what's the other verb that we see at the end of 25? And he knows. So he hears, he remembers, he sees, and, and he knows. Like he, he is not unaware what you're going through. He is not somehow missing the point. He is he's not seeing what all the rest of us are doing and has no clue what's going on with you. He knows. So when you go, Ben, I, no one knows how, how bad I want to get pregnant or how bad I want to have an adoption, go for adoption or how bad I want to start a new business or how bad I want to see my kids come back into the family or how bad I want my friendships to be restored. No one knows that. And this morning, God's going, I know. I hear. I remember my promise. I see and I know. Do we have a God who gets personally involved? Yeah. As you get into chapter 3, it begins with the burning bush experience, right? Bush starts talking, it seems like. Moses is like, huh? And God says, Moses, take your sandals off. Don't come any closer. Take your sandals off because the place where you're standing is holy ground. When God calls Moses by name, what it's, again, we can know a lot of people's name, you know, different ways. But when God calls Moses' name, when someone would call another person by name, what that recognizes is that there was an intimate knowledge of that other person. And so God says, Moses, take your shoes off the place where you're standing. It's holy ground. And then I want you to see what happens. We'll just walk through a few things in 7 through 15. I'll, I'll read a few verses, make the point, and then, and then we'll move on. So you get to verse 7. You see, the, again, the personal involvement of God. It says, then the Lord said, again, here are these things. I have surely seen personal involvement. The affliction of my people who are in Egypt, I've heard personal involvement. Their cry because of their taskmasters. I know their sufferings. And this is a beautiful part. And I've come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians. To bring them up out of that land to a good and broad land, a land flowing with milk and honey. Right off the bat, you see divine intervention, do you not? So at the end of chapter 2, what it says is that God, finally the cries for the, Egypt, Egypt, uh, for the Israelites who were in Egypt, they were enslaved. The cry comes up to God, so it's coming up to God. And then you see this great personalization where it says in verse 7 and 8, God says, I have come down and I'm going to deliver. Divine intervention. Have you ever been at that place in your life? 
Have you ever been in a situation? Have you ever been facing something that if God didn't show up and take care of it, it was impossible for you to get the result you wanted? Seriously, have you ever been there? We have people in our church right now trying to get into certain schools, and if God doesn't show up, like, you know, their GPA might not be the greatest in the world. If God doesn't show up, it's not going to happen. We have women in our church who are trying to get pregnant right now. If they're doing the right things, because I'm not the guy, oh, I'd never go to the doctor. I'm not that guy. You'll never get that here. Do everything you can, but ask God to do what's impossible for you and doctors to do. And so for some of these women, we prayed for some this week, just said, hey, God, would you show up? Would you make it happen this time? And would you bring a healthy baby out of her womb? Have you ever been in a situation that if God doesn't get in the midst of it, if God doesn't intervene, if he doesn't act on your behalf, you're hopeless? Some of you are like, Ben, that's really scary. It is, but I've never been in a more exciting place. When we got word about kind of the history of churches that had started in the city of San Francisco and the success rate, I was kind of like, oh, crap. This is terrible. God, would you intervene? God, would you do what I can't make happen? God, would you bring a congregation? God, would you bring people? Could it be inspiring to their lives? Could it make a difference? God, would you use us to serve the city and then the world? God, would you do that? Because I can't make it happen. I need you to show up. I need you to act. I need you to intervene. And we have a God who gets personally involved. And then you get into verse 10. This is real fun because when, when God gets personally involved, uh, sometimes he's going to ask you to get personally involved. And you're like, no, no, I'd rather just God do his thing, right? Look at verse 10. He says to Moses, come, I will send you to Pharaoh that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. Now, if you're Moses, there's 600,000 men, so there's probably about 2 million people with the Israelite camp, right? So the chances of the math teacher picking you to do the problem are pretty slim, right? I mean, this is a good math class you want to be in. What are the chances of 2 million people being in our group and they're choosing me? I mean, I've got a better chance to win the Mega Millions, not really. And some of you are like, oh, I thought so. Um, Moses, there's 2 million of them. Just the men, 600,000 men. Chances are very, very slim for any of those individuals to be chosen. Because Moses is like the rest of them. God, would you please get involved? And then God's like, yeah, I'm going to get involved, and so are you. And Moses is like, uh-uh. Here's what Moses says. This is what we say a lot in verse 11. <laughs> but Moses said to God, who am I? That I should go to Pharaoh. Here's what Moses is saying. Do you know who Pharaoh is, God? God's like, yeah. Pain in my neck, but, you know, I, I, I know who he is. Moses is going, and do you know, do you know who I am? Moses is going, I, I, I do not have what it takes. I'm, I'm not strong enough. I'm not smart enough. And, and here's the reality. You know, we say that it takes 21 days to form a habit, right? Well, imagine that you've been doing something and your people have been doing something for 430 years consecutively. It's hard to imagine there's a different future, right? I'm going to get up. They're going to tell me what to do early in the morning until late at night. I'm going to be putting bricks together. And God says, no, Moses, I'm going to use you. I'm going to get personally involved. But here's, how I'm, because here's what God does. This is fascinating. Wouldn't you like to sometimes just for God to do his thing? And he does this sometimes. And for us just to kind of sit on the front row and go, awesome, 10, you know. But what God has done all throughout the history of the world is as he gets personally involved, his plan has been to get us personally involved. And personal involvement requests to Moses makes Moses say, who am I? Like, do I have what it takes? Can I make this happen? How can we succeed if I'm the guy? How can we win? Who am I? And I think if God was on a talk show today, like he was the host, um, and Moses said, who am I? Like Moses sitting over there, he's got his coffee cup. And, and sometimes how we would play it out in our society, like when Moses is like, well, who am I? You know, we can see God going, well, Moses, you're really, you're, you're, you've come a long way. Moses, you're pretty good. You're talented. You're better than average. I mean, you've got what it takes. But God doesn't answer any questions that Moses is asking about Moses. 
So here's this. Look at verse 11 and 12. Why don't you see it? Moses says in verse 11, who am I that I can go and do this with Pharaoh? God doesn't tell Moses who he is. Moses says, who am I? God says, I will be with you. It's pretty crazy, right? Do you have people in your life that you ask them a question, they answer a question, but it's not the one you asked them? Moses didn't say, hey, who's in this with me? Moses said, who am I? Stacked up against Pharaoh, who am I? Do I have what it takes? Absolutely not. And no one, not even two million of us have been able to overcome this guy. (laughs) I mean, even if we all got to go in this thing together, I mean, even if we had an army, we've not been able to get around him and his leaders. We don't have what it takes. Who am I? And God goes, you know what, Moses? When that's the equation, you against Pharaoh, that's a great question to ask. But if you're familiar with the tipping point, what God is saying is that when I get into the equation, things tip the other way. And one of the things you need to know, perhaps God's put a dream on your heart. Perhaps God is leading you and your family to do something. Perhaps he's leading you to start a business that would make a big difference in our city and the world in some way or in his kingdom. And you're just going, man, who am I? God, I don't have experience with this. Like, who am I? And what you need to know is that if God gets personally involved, who you are won't be all that significant of the equa- part of the equation. Oh, you'll be a significant part. He'll want to use you. He'll want to do it through you. That's the way he operates throughout scriptures, throughout my life, throughout our church, throughout history. But when you go, hey, who am I? Do I have what it takes? He goes, well, if I'm with you, yeah. yeah if I'm with you, yeah. And here's the deal. When, when God calls us into something that's beyond ourselves, and guess who can't get the credit for it? So he goes, hey, go do this thing that's impossible. Well, how can I? Because well, I'm going to be with you. I'm going to be with you. Psalm 127, 1 and 2. I want to I give it to you again. We talk about this all the time as a church. I want it to be on the screen. Here's Psalm 127, verse 1 and 2. Unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. Like it's pointless to try to do it yourself. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. Verse 2. It is in vain that you rise up early and go late to rest, eating the bread of anxious toil, for he gives to his beloved sleep. You know what the psalmist is saying? If God doesn't get involved in the kind of things that are on his heart, you won't be able to do it by yourself. And here's the reality. If you and I don't want to get involved in things that take a great amount of faith and take God's activity and take his intervention, two things. You and I will either settle for status quo or the missions that we live for will be really small, small ones that we're good enough for, equipped for on our own, and can control. And I just want to invite you to live something better than that. Now, can you remember a time, let's, let's, for those of you that have experienced some success in life, do you remember a time when you were real desperate and you were even humble? Like, remember that? And some of you never were, but remember some of us, like when we didn't have what it took? Do you remember your first job, how desperate you were just to get the interview? Do you remember it? Do you remember what your prayer time was like? And you remember how you rejoiced when they said 22000 a year? You're like, this is awesome. Do you remember that? Do you remember? But seriously, in those moments, we're like, God, I'm so desperate. I, I need something to break. I remember what it was like to honestly not know if one person would ever come to our church when we started it a year and two months ago. Like, you're like, Ben, you knew. No. I still have the nightmare every morning that I get up here. Like, oh, like I'm sitting on the front row talking to my staff. I'm like, man, is anybody here? Like, is anybody here? My confidence is shaking. Is it? But here's the reality for you and for me, even in this situation with the church. So in the beginning, there's a huge gap, right, for faith to exist. Of course, we say in here that doubt can fill that space too. But there's a huge gap. So I'm going, God, there's so much space between what's current 
and where I need to be, would you fill the gap? You're going to have to show up. You're going to have to show off. You're going to have to intervene. You're going to have to act on our behalf. But guess what? Now we got 220, 230, 240, 250 people coming on a Sunday. So when I wake up every morning now, the gap's not very big for me to believe whether our church is going to exist right now. So I've got two choices, to go back to living a status quo life or figure out some way to pursue something that's going to expand the gap. Do you remember when you were desperate and the faith gap was huge? Do you remember? Remember when you started a business? And you're like, oh boy, this is impossible. You saw God show up on your behalf. And now let's be honest, when you go to work every day, it doesn't take a whole lot of faith. Some of us need to be asking the question, what's the next faith gap? Some of you, God's been stirring on your heart to do something and it seems absurd. Do you know how crazy it was whenever Moses went back to the two million and said, hey, um, we're about to break out of this joint and I'm leading the way. Can you imagine that conversation? Do you know why? Let me show you how I know that's the sort of conversation that went down. Look up the rest of the text. In verse 13, Moses says to God, he really wants to make sure he's clear. He's saying, God, if I come to the people of Israel and I say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you, they're going to ask some questions. They're going to ask, what have I been smoking? That's not in the text. No, I'm just ad-libbing a little bit. What have I been smoking? What was I diagnosed with, right? They're going to ask me this, God, what is his name? He says, what shall I say to them? And God says in verse 14, tell them this. I am who I am. Say this to the people of Israel. I am has sent me to you. When you launch into the thing that seems crazy, and I'm not saying go do something stupid, okay? Like, don't be like, oh, my pastor said go do something that took a lot of faith. So I went to Mount Everest. I can't run a mile, but I'm going to Everest and um, just faith. You know, it's a huge gap. I'm going for it. Um, (laughs) It's fun to picture some of you doing that along with myself. So I'm going to get all of your, and I won't tell you who you are. Um, So literally, they have to think he's delusional. They've been in the same plot of life like for 430 years. They know Moses is not the strongest leader. We know later on we're going to find out Moses has a speech issue. He stutters all the time. You don't want your representative, right? I mean, two million people. And so he goes, God, I, I, I need to tell them something. And, and God says, tell them this, tell them I am who I am has sent you. Here's what God is saying in that. It's this really unique phrase in the Hebrew language. God's saying, I, I was who I was, I, I am who I am, I will be who I will be. What God is saying in that moment is that I'm self-existent. And here's why that's good news, that God's not, not inefficient in any way or insufficient in any way. The reason why that's good news is that, that God is, 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 is not, he's not dictated by any factors outside of himself, right? So he, he, he's kind of like me. He does not have bad hair day, right? I mean, he, he doesn't get up and go, oh, crap, it's cloudy out today, and my emotions are sort of down. I don't know if I can perform well. God, God isn't influenced by any factors outside of himself. And here's why that's good, because you and I are, are we not? Right? Some of you are like as happy as you've ever been, and you're like, I just got this new joy. No, it's the sun came out, right, for four days, and you're like, this is all, and you're like, oh, I'm a new person. Wait till Wednesday. <laughs> you happy Wednesday, call me, then we'll be like, oh, you are a new person. God's, God's not relying on anything outside himself. He, he doesn't need anyone to step in and help him out. That's why he's able to affect and influence us and our situation and our thing in any way that he sees fit. Pretty interesting, isn't it? 
Now, let's be honest. Let me, we've, we've tried to be encouraging so far. Like, hey, I want you to go pursue what it is that God's given you, really. Because when you and I ask the question, like, who am I? Like, when we go, God, how can I save my marriage? Like, I don't have what it takes. God goes, I will be there. When we go, God, I don't know that I can do this thing that I need to do that's ethical and has integrity at work. And God goes, well, I, I can do something about that. I'm, I can be there for you, right? And when we ask, when we ask that question. So God gets personally involved in Moses' life and in these, say, two million other people in Israel uh, but, but he, gets, he gets personally involved in someone else's life, right? W- would you say, if you know how the story goes, that he gets personally involved in Pharaoh's life? You don't want to be on that side. Anybody know how many plagues that he sends towards Pharaoh before he finally relents? Ten. Come on. We got some scholars in here. Ten. Do you know how personally involved God, what God got with the last plague? It's what the Passover ended up coming out of. Do you know that Pharaoh, it came to the point, he was so, he was going to keep God's people under his control. This plague comes, he's like, oh, that's bad, but I'm going to keep going. You can't go, you can't go, you can't go, you can't go. God kills his son and a lot of the other firstborn sons in Egypt, and he goes, all right, please don't be personally involved with me anymore. And so you're like, well, Ben, what does this mean? Here, here's what it means. It's going to sound real simplistic, but it has major implications. Um, try to live life on his side and align yourself with what he's up to what his ways are, what his direction is. You don't want to be on the opposite side. I don't either. He's going to get personally involved. You want to be standing with him. And he's invited us to do such a thing. In fact, this great story, I mean, it's an incredible story of slavery and freedom and rescue, is it not? But here's what's so cool, talking about God's personal involvement. You and I, because of our sin, we're enslaved to our sin in a, in a much greater way than they were enslaved in Egypt. And remember the verbs? God heard about their slavery. He, he's heard about ours too. He remembered his covenant. He remembered his plan with us. He saw the situation they were in, kind of where they were, the lot they had in life. He's done the same with ours and our sin. And he knows, meaning, what does he know about us and our slavery? He knows that if something doesn't happen, um, we're going to be enslaved to it for all eternity. Not only enslaved to it, but enslaved to the implications of it. And that's, that will be our effect. That will be how this thing ends. And so in a greater way than he does, he told Moses he's coming down. In the person of Jesus, that's what he said to you. I'm coming down. I'm getting involved. I'm going to deliver you. But only if you place faith in him and say, God, I recognize I'm a sinner. I need to be freed from my sin. And even in a greater way than he did for the, Israel, the people of Israel in Egypt, you and I, and some of you are going, but Ben, I'm a Christian. Are you? Have you really placed your faith in him? Or are you still enslaved to your sin? The offer from God this morning is, hey, not to come to church more. The offer from God is not, hey, just to ask me to be a part of your life as you pursue really good things for yourself. It is, hey, the best thing that I have to offer you is freedom from your own sin. Do you want that? And what I want for our church, like what I want for me, what I want for our individuals, our families, for our church, for our city, for our world, is for us to become people who increasingly rely on God to show up and do things on our behalf that we can't do, right? That gets like it hits its peak place in the life of Jesus. Jesus doing something for us we can't do for ourselves. But even in moving forward, like when you decide what are you going to invest in? What are you going to pursue? What are, what are you going to, like what kind of business will you begin? What kind of thing will you decide to do? What, what comfortable and secure thing will you walk away from? Because I think that's the call of all of us at some point, whatever it may be. As you begin to pursue that, know that you have a God that when he gets involved, it doesn't matter what you're up against. Do you know that I planned on us being a church that sets up and tears down for five to ten years. 
Out of all my research, all the church planters and church starters I called, we were just living with the expectation. You may go, Ben, you had little faith, and you, okay, all right. God had something else in mind. <laughs> he drops this thing, and I was like, oh, by the way, God, if we're going to have it in downtown, it needs to be zoned for 200 people. Okay, I can do that. I can do that. God, I, I need you to take care of my kids in this special way. And I'm like, it seems impossible. God goes, I can do that. Some of you need to lean into him. Some of you are leaning away from him because you don't want to experience the hurt. And you're like, if I let God in and I get vulnerable with God and he doesn't do it how I need it to be done, then I'm, I'm going to actually lose my faith completely. And so you're afraid. But I just want to encourage you to lean in. I want to encourage you to engage. And you're like, Ben, will, will I wake up tomorrow morning and everything be different? I don't know. I think he has that power. Some of those things, you're going to have to hang on, continue to be faithful. My mom that I mentioned earlier, she, uh, I don't know how I would classify myself as a sophomore in high school, but uh, I wasn't the best kid. I was the worst. And, uh, and she would get together with two or three other ladies every Monday night at our little church in the city that I grew up in and pray for me. And she would say things to me like, um, hey, I want you to know we're, we're praying for you. And I, I remember one time especially, I was just mad. And I just said, uh, you, you can pray for me all you want to, but it's not going to change anything. Thankfully, she kept going. God got involved, and I believe, not that that's the only reason, but I believe that has a lot to do with why I'm standing here this morning. Even when you are the thing that maybe you are up against doesn't want God to show up, and I didn't at that time. I didn't want him anywhere close. I didn't want him to answer my mom's prayers. But I believe because he did, I, I, it has a lot to do with why I have the wife that I have today the children, and why I have the calling on my life that I do today. What is it you need to trust God for that seems impossible? Because if he gets involved, if he engages in it, it could change everything. And it might not be exactly what you want him to do, but it's not going to be worse. Would you guys pray with me this morning as we close out our time of teaching? God, I'm very grateful that you're a God who gets involved. God, that can be a scary thing when we're on the opposite side, just to be honest. We, we need a God that we can lean into and trust we need a God that we can um, find our rest in. God, I pray for every man and woman and child that, that, is, that is so... Um, God, all of us are sla- enslaved to our sin until you break us out of that. I pray that would happen. God, some of us are enslaved to believing that the impossible or what seems unlikely can't be accomplished in our lives. God, I pray you would free us from that. God, I just feel a sense of you in praying for the children in our church that they would grow up believing in a big God who gets personally involved and changes everything.